plotting and plotting are more than just homophones with each other. You don't do your plotting right, your story is going to be plotting and people are going to lose interest. Welcome to Rite of Passage. I'm Cal. And I'm John. And for today's episode, and every other episode coming from henceforth, we are going to be switching positions today. Yesterday, he was the learner. Now he is the master. He's going to have all the knowledge we need, and I shall be the guy in search of knowledge. Also known in the persona verse of whatever you call it, the fool. The fool is not the fool because he's foolish, but because he does not have the knowledge he needs to continue forward on his path, wherever that path may lead. So, today I am going to be that one making the fool's journey, which is interesting because it very much resembles the hero's journey. But that's neither here nor there, or rather it is here, and then in the next episode, it'll be there. So just <laughs> sit tight. Alright, so this episode in particular is actually part one of a duology. We have been meaning for a while to look into doing multiple part episodes. Maybe not as a regular thing, but as a special thing. We're not going to go all behind the bastards or whatever and do every episode as two parts, one full hour each episode. But we are going to be experimenting with this formula, and what better way to experiment with it than to talk about that guy who probably has the greatest influence on at least the study and analysis of literature than probably any other living man alive, except for maybe his particularly notable fanboy, who we'll also be discussing in this particular cast. The two people in question, Carl Jung, apprentice and protege of psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud, and his greatest fan, a man named Joseph Campbell. So we're going to start this off at the top then. So... John, who exactly was Carl Jung? Yeah, so Carl Jung, as you mentioned, was a psychoanalyst, one of the quote-unquote children of Freud, people who studied under Sigmund Freud, and one of Jung's primary contributions to psychology, literature, society in general, was the concept of the collective unconscious. His idea that most healthy minds start out with the same basic structure. Everybody that has a healthy mind ends up with the same framework for the things that are going to drive us. What kinds of frameworks are going to be using in our stories? What kind of characters are going to show up in our stories? He believed that tropes, character types, maybe overall themes would show up in society regardless of where they were located, how they interacted with each other, or how they interacted with th themselves. And this idea was that all healthy minds share a similar structure, and that's the collective unconscious. So anyways, in that kind of a situation, actually, it bears quite a resemblance to another particular yours we will be discussing, where Cronus in a state of fright that he would inevitably usurped by one of his children 
would eat his children as they were being born until his wife, I believe, Gaia, ended up just hiding one of the little kids, not even the oldest, just one of the kids, away from him and feeding him a disguised rock. That guy, his name was Zeus, and he became, as you may very well know, the head of the Olympians, as opposed to the Titans. There were the Titans, then there were the Olympians, and yeah, that's all for Greco-Roman mythology as far as deity ship is concerned. But the reason I bring up Zeus as the man who avoided being eaten by his father and subsequently chaining his father in Tartarus, after young, there was another such fellow. Granted, he was more directly involved in literature than his ostensible, metaphorical father, Young. It is his work that we, as storytellers and writers, will often pay the most reference to. We might give a passing reference to Young, even though we are giving him the second half of our duology here. But the really interesting figure here is, again, his biggest fan, Joseph Campbell. You want to go into that? Yeah, talking about Joseph Campbell, he was a professor at the all-women's school, Sarah Lawrence College, and he was really into studying mythologies. And in addition to studying mythologies, he was also an avid reader of Carl Jung. So while he was studying mythology, he took Jung's concept of the collective unconscious and layered it on top of the similarities he felt he was observing in various mythologies that he was studying. Egyptian, Buddhist, Greek, Judeo-Christian, many more, all seemed to have frameworks that he was applying this collective unconscious idea to, and thus creating a new concept that he coined the monomyth, commonly referred to now as the hero's journey. Which was actually the title of his book discussing the whole phenomenon of the monomyth and such. Ever gotten that kind of sense of deja vu when you watch a film, <laughs> like some summer blockbuster, then you go watch another film a couple of days later and it seems like they have the same plot structure? No, you're not watching another Disney live-action remake. You are just listening to the subconscious suggestions that are coming from your brain, your unconscious self. So, anyways, Joseph Campbell saw these, and he put them together into a sort of a generic formula that, while not the rule, will definitely result in something that is worth listening to, or watching, or reading, or even playing through, as we will see later on in the episode. But, at this point, you, our audience, our writer diaries, are probably wanting to know more about what specifically goes into a hero's journey, including the type of people you meet, and the type of events that happen to you as you continue on this journey that even you really don't know is going to end up at. So, you got anything yeah. about that, John? Yeah, so we can, we can dive into this cycle. He actually has a diagram of a circle in this book, which I believe is actually titled A Hero with a Thousand Faces, where he breaks down the concept of the monomyth, the concept of the hero's journey, and, and the variety of stories and examples that he has is wide-ranging. His circle diagram has a starting point, and then it has three stages. 
moving away from and returning to the starting point. So the three stages of the hero's journey are separation, initiation, and return. So separation, that's the first stage. So starting in the status quo, the hero or the world is a particular way. Um, and for some reason, the protagonist has to exit the status quo and they receive a call to adventure that pulls them away from their life as it was before. And they have to go and begin this adventure. They're going to meet people. Maybe they are reluctant and they don't want to leave. They're going to meet mentors and guides who are going to help them safely travel away from the status quo into a new place. The second stage initiation is their time of preparation. Maybe it's a time of conflict and initial failure in the face of that conflict, usually traveling into the depths of some somewhere, someplace, and usually after some training, receiving knowledge or tools or weapons to assist in overthrowing or overcoming the main obstacle or the main antagonist. And the third stage is the return. Once the antagonist or obstacle has been overcome, the hero has been changed, has grown, the world has changed or grown, and they have to return back to the status quo somehow, some way. They've got to return. Even if it's a new status quo, things have to wrap up. The journey has to end and there has to be a return from the place of conflict, from the place of battle or initiation back to a place of a status quo. And that's the three stages of Joseph Campbell's cyclical hero's journey. And these are cycles that can, and probably in all likelihood will, especially if you're some kind of a Hollywood CEO and you want sequels with more cash and whatever. But yeah, these cycles tend to repeat over and over again. Now, yes. I just want to say something really quick before we move on to our next point here, is that obviously, well not obviously, there's a good chance that at some point during your life, you have viewed yourself and your journey, regardless of how mundane it might actually be objectively, that it's sort of like a hero's journey of sorts. You start off like the innocent fool, something happens in which you Either it's a traumatic experience or <laughs> rite of passage, name drop. Anyways, in many ways, you might be looking at this stuff and say, hey, it's my life. And that's probably because your collective unconscious is triggering you that way. But I want you to remember something. As a human being who is on a hero's journey, but is also in a world filled with other people who all are on their own hero's journey, you have to recognize the time and place where you kind of have to step back from being the hero in your hero's journey and be a character that is essential to help another hero make their journey because a hero does not complete the journey, does not finish the course, does not keep the faith. If the people that are required for his narrative, his or her or their narrative, is are not there. So that's also a lot of responsibility on us. You could be the reason that someone you probably either have met or never met in your life 
didn't end up getting to really fulfill their arc as a hero. Like, maybe someone needed a ride. Maybe someone needed to avoid getting infected by a disease. It could be any number of things. But this is just a big reason why being empathetic is so important as a human being, really. Is that we all have paths to walk. And it's going to suck at times. So, if you really want to make sure the journey is smooth, both for you and those around you, you should probably lend a hand. If for no other reason, because there's someone else very much like yourself who's going through this and probably won't succeed unless someone like you or a collection of someones like you are there to help out. Yeah, but this is really literally neither here nor there in regards to our uh, next uh, segment here. <laughs> so, as you understand, when it comes to the uh, collective unconscious and whatnot, this is stuff that dates back to the very first Neanderthal or whatever. So it should also be expected, it does follow, that out of this collective unconscious should come some of the greatest epics, epic poems, that all of us were forced to read in high school. Every single one of them. So, not just them, all of the myths and different little myths, short stories, side quests, whatever, that have popped up throughout the decades, not decades, we're talking millennia here, throughout all of the millennia of human existence. You want to bring up some of those, John? Yeah, absolutely. So we're just going <laughs> to name off some epics that pull into or pour into Joseph Campbell's concept here. You've got 12 Labors of Hercules, the major Greek adventures, the Enid, the Iliad, the Odyssey, John Milton's Paradise Lost, Jewish history mythology, right? Moses, Jonah, a very literal descending into the depths there with the story of Jonah. Campbell talks about the story of Buddha reaching enlightenment. I mean, tons of ancient stories are using this framework as the foundation for their story, for the foundation for their heroes. And something else I wanted to point out, oftentimes in these myths, the hero isn't just an average person. It can be, but it often is some kind of heroic person who's got a special ability or got a special power, something special within themselves that they've got to unlock or unlock that helps them evolve into the hero that their story needs. Just connecting that back to what you were just saying about being empathetic, that's a power that, that we share. And even if it's not empathy, it's still human. Most people can connect on some level with another person. And some people struggle with empathy, but there's some degree where that human connection can happen. And that's something that as humans, that's our superpower. And when we unlock that, we are able to do all kinds of good in the world. And I just wanted to highlight some of these heroes and of these epics are all supernatural or superpowered or some type of extraordinary. And each of us shares that just by sharing our humanity. Yeah, for absolutely for sure. Of course, if it happens in literature, you better believe that there's going to be a film or TV adaptation of that stuff. 
technically it should sure. be added on to those whole rules of the internet right up there with the uh rule of the internet that shall not be named for this episode <laughs> <laughs> but yes you write a book or you write an epic or something like that it's almost inevitable that if it's good enough someone's going to try and turn it into a film or a tv show or something you want to elaborate on a couple of those yeah, absolutely. So one of the films that's probably the most famous example is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, or as it released in 1977, Star Wars. It's a pretty cut and dry example of the hero's journey. Very classic, right? Status quo, Luke being at home. Luke's not even happy. He's complaining a lot, but he receives the message from Leia. Ben says, come with me. Let's go save her. Let's go on an adventure. You need to do this. And Luke says, no, I don't want to do that. I still need to stay here. I still need to help. He refuses that call to adventure. He goes home and his family is gone. And that is the force that then pushes him to transcend worlds, to leave home and go someplace else to follow that call to adventure and to follow this older, wiser figure who he can learn, he can gain knowledge and abilities from, right? So they go to the Death Star. This is a place of darkness, of evil. They're able to rescue the princess, but then they literally descend into the depths of the garbage chute, and they have to escape in a final, final luck, almost deus ex machina in a very literal way, got in the machines, saving him and his friends from certain death in the depths of the garbage chute and even while all this is going on he loses his mentor figure ben dies in a battle with darth vader and while his friends are escaping and licking their wounds they make it back to the rebellion right where they join forces they recuperate and they begin an attack to save the galaxy to destroy this tool that will be a scourge on freedom and everything that the rebellion holds dear. And they're successful, barely, but by Luke using the knowledge and abilities that he's gained from his time with Ben, using the Force to destroy this object, to achieve final victory over this insane enemy, and then return back to Yavin 4, thus setting a new status quo where the rebellion is empowered, the empire is severely injured, and his friends are united and safe. That's very, <laughs> right? I, that's the plot. This is the entire plot. Very yeah. simple. Very cyclical. Obviously, that's not the only Star Wars movie. The hero's journey can happen multiple times. It can even happen over multiple movies. And the original trilogy also dives into that. I'm not going to go into all that right now, but that first film is a very good example of this cycle happening almost at its most simple. Another really interesting kind of hero's journey that has happened in film and TV and stuff, I think, is Back to the Future, specifically the first Back to the Future movie. Because it's not just Marty going on his hero's journey and stuff. It's him trying to help his father go through his hero's journey. So he is simultaneously right. both the hero and, I guess, he's the guy that makes the call. He's also the wise man because he has all right. this knowledge about everything that happened. And he's the one 
that actually has the uh, cajones to stand up to Biff and his gang and stuff. And, Absolutely. But, yeah. Again, as we always like to stress on this show, video games are in many ways the evolution, not the final form as Shelby from Girlfriend Reviews describes it, but a very more advanced leap forward in the art of storytelling. And this time, not only is this a huge step forward in storytelling, but one that really subverts and flips the hero's journey on its head. Because it is more of really a villain's journey or like an anti-hero's journey or something like that. And that's Far Cry 3. You want to elaborate? Yeah, so the concept of the villain's journey, it's a flip on the hero's journey where rather than an ascent of moral character, the villain's journey is a descent from whatever, the, again, starting from the status quo, whatever that might be, and descending from there from a moral perspective, becoming worse, becoming more dangerous, more quote-unquote evil. So Far Cry 3, the third major entry in Ubisoft's famous first-person shooter franchise, the main character, protagonist, is Jason Brody, a spoiled rich kid who's on an island with some of his friends partying. They're probably not the worst individuals in the whole wide world, but they're not relatable heroes. These are extremely rich people having a vacation of a lifetime. I don't know about you, but I can't really relate to that. However, his friends and him and his family are captured by a gang of people, and a lot of them are brutally murdered, and this spoiled, soft-skinned individual goes on a descent into a hardcore, cold-blooded killer. He definitely descends morally from maybe just a not-great-rich person into a cold-blooded murderer who's animalistic goal is simply either survival or revenge and he's forced into all of these terrible situations and there's still people who come alongside him and help him there's a resistance force that he works with that are present on the island too that are trying to resist and fight against the enemy forces led led by Voss main one of the main antagonists of the title mm. but he definitely descends becomes worse he's not out to help save these surviving resistance people he's out there to not die himself and to get revenge on the people that have hurt him and his family and he does so with in increasingly violent and deranged methods what's really interesting real quick before we wrap up this particular segment is that this particular hero's journey or villain's journey is so impactful to everything that whenever you upgrade an ability in the game, it manifests as a tattoo on your forearm. So whenever you're doing stuff in first person and you're having to look down at your forearm, you see the story of this guy and his descent into the violent, murderous person he becomes by the end of the game. It's not like you can hide away from it. It's written in your skin, like, deep. But I guess finally, in, I guess in conclusion for all of this, just, just remember the lesson that I, me and John have kind of left for you. 
you're not probably not some kind of superhero or you're not on some kind of divine quest to do something or whatever. But remember, you are still on a hero's journey and so is everybody around you. So whenever you can and wherever you can, keep that in mind and make sure you don't get caught up, so caught up in your own journey that you start to actually go over the line and start hurting people while they're on theirs. So I think that's a wrap up for today. But first, real quick mention, as I have said on the Twitter, which you should check us out, it's a Rite of Past Pod on Twitter. But we have changed episode five. We are no longer doing a workshop episode. Thanks to scheduling issues that have come up recently, as well as yesterday's release of or debut of the show Cyberpunk Edgerunners, which you all should watch. It's amazing. The art style is great. And I mean, as some people have played the game, it really just feels like a proper, like kind of dissection of that whole world. And because of all that, episode five is actually going to be part one of a three-parter we'll be doing where we discuss three of the major punk fiction genres, starting obviously with cyberpunk. So, sorry if there was anyone that was excited about the whole workshop thingy, but we didn't really get a lot of submissions. So hopefully season two, we can actually focus on doing a legit workshop episode. But until then, episode five is gonna be tight. And of course, you can't get to five without episode four, and rest assured, once this is up, we will start recording episode 4, which is Youngblood Part 2. And, even though we can't say everything that's going to happen in the episode, I will give you this small hint. You never see it coming! <laughs> okay, well, in that case, I'm Cal. And I'm John. And we'd be signing off. Alright, thanks for listening. <laughs>